Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Matthew 5, 7 through 12. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Matthew in your Bible. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Um, I absolutely love that time, especially uh, when they're fun. Um, Anyway, they're always fun. Uh, we've been, we're, we've looked at the first couple of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Last week we did. And one of the things that we said was that, well, I offered up my own little translation for them, and, and that, I'll have that up for you in, in a second. Um, but we, we said, we've changed the wording just a little bit. We said that instead of saying blessed, uh, we've made it blessings. And uh, the reason I made it that way, uh, translated it that way, is because it is in the present tense. Uh, in fact, Greek has a, a tense that's the present continuous uh, tense, meaning that an action that has begun uh, in the present has continuing effects as you move forward through time. And, and this was kind of the basis for what I said is the general thesis of the Beatitudes, at least those first part, which we called the Beatitudes of Grace. Uh, we said that that part of what God is communicating through Jesus to us is that uh, God is promising to be with us and for us always. Uh, that's God's promise uh, through Jesus for us. Uh, as we went through, though, the Beatitudes, we noticed that, uh, that this promise comes to us before we have any rules. Uh, before Jesus, in, in the next sections of the Sermon on the Mount, tells us the, the things that we should do. He starts off uh, saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He's kind of reinterpreting all the, the rules that Israel went through. Um, but he says, I'm going to be with you and for you in your, uh, in your poverty, in your lack of being what you should be, we said spiritually and, and maybe even physically. Um, we said that Jesus is promising to be with us and for us in our desperately, devastatingly brokenheartedness. Um, that God is going to be with us as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we noted that hungering and thirsting for righteousness, well, if you hunger and thirst for something, it is is because you don't already have it. And so um, we, we said that God is coming to be with us and for us and making this promise even in the midst of us not having it all together just yet. That he's saying, uh, you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have all of, all of life to be squeaky and clean. Uh, but that I've come to you and want to be with you and for you, even in the midst of your 
brokenheartedness or, or your poverty in spirit and your, your unrighteousness. Uh, we said, though, at the end of that, that this is the same posture that we should take towards those who are around us, that, that we deliver and we bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ uh, in saying, too, God is with you and for you before you ever have it figured out. That you don't need to, to be fully what God wants you to be in order to begin this journey or to, to be a part of us or, or to learn or to feel loved by us. Um, you are, we are with you and for you in your, in your poverty, in your brokenheartedness, in your, in your unrighteousness. Well, we, we called those the Beatitudes of Grace. And this morning, um, there's two more sections, and we're just going to take them both together because the last one's kind of short. Um, but we, I'm going to call the first part the Beatitudes of Response. And so this is, this is um, our response, I think, what God is saying to us, to the things that God has given to us. I am fully under the belief that our faith is a participatory one. That it, that it is never just about what God is doing for us, but it is what God is inviting us into. That grace is always given to us so that we might give it to somebody else. That God's love is always given to us so that we might give it to somebody else. Uh, that mercy is always given to us so that we might give it to somebody else. Surely we benefit from grace and love and mercy from God. But it is... It is always a call for us to participate in what God is doing in the world and giving that love and bringing about salvation and restoration uh, to the broken world around us. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read, um, actually we're going to go skip forward a little bit here. Uh, the first one we're going to look at, blessed blessings on those who are steadfastly loyal and loving for they will receive steadfast loyalty and love. I've put the parentheses in there, mercy, because that's, that's the normal translation. And the, the other word there is hesed. It's my favorite Hebrew word, and I've, I know I've said it before. Uh, part of the reason it's my favorite Hebrew word is because it's, it's got like this guttural, and you've got to go, you got to go hesed, because that's how they would have said it. Uh, because the, the, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so when the Old Testament gets translated into, into Greek, um, this word hesed, which means steadfast love and faithfulness, gets translated often as mercy. Um, I think we're used to understanding mercy as just not receiving what we deserve, right? So if when you were a kid, you were fighting with your brothers or sisters, um, you know, you might just say, you know, uncle or whatever. Stop, I give in. You never did that, right? No, of course not. Um, yeah, and, and so, like, that's mercy, like, not, like, relenting from, from punishment. Um, but, but I think it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. I, I think it, it also speaks to this, um, this faithfulness that we've already mentioned in God. Uh, that God's uh, that God's loving faithfulness, yes, it doesn't give us often what we deserve, uh, but it also gives us so much more than we deserve as well. Uh, faithfulness, faithfulness. One of the things we said last week as well is that, um, well, and the nature of this is active, right? 
for they will receive steadfast loyalty and love, who are steadfastly loyal and loving. Again, present and continuous. It's not just that we one time give people uh, love and faithfulness, but that that becomes a primary marker of who we are as the people of God. Steadfastly loving and loyal and faithful. Um, we said, though, last week as well that, that these are kind of cyclical. Now, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about um, this because I, I want to say this, that the only way that we cease to receive God's steadfast love and faithfulness is if we cease to give God's steadfast love and faithfulness to others, right? That seems like a logical thing to say, right? Because um, well, if, if we're expected to give these things away, it, it may seem that you know, God will withhold that. And I've had a kind of a change of heart in that in, from, from when I originally uh, studied this. I do think it's cyclical. I do think, uh, it, to extent, that the more we give God's love and faithfulness to our family, to our church, to the people around us, that the more God pours that steadfast love and faithfulness into us uh, so that we might pass it on. But I don't think, I don't think God ever stops giving God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us. If that were the case, I think God would have been done with Israel from the very beginning. Because they were terrible. Like they, they had amnesia of the worst sorts most of the time, where they just forgot what it is that God had done for them, and they always wanted to return to, to something else. I think God's steadfast love and faithfulness is utterly relentless. I will say, I do think, I do think that sometimes God gives us what we want. And sometimes by our actions and attitudes that we reject God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And so God releases us from that. I don't think that God ever stops loving us or ever stops wanting to be faithful from us to us. Uh, but I think sometimes God gives us what we want. If what we want is to not be uh, part of God's love and faithfulness. Does that make any kind of sense? It's not a transaction. We're not involved in a transaction with God. We don't love others so that God would love us. We love because we have uh, been loved. The next one is blessing on those who watch and ponder what God says and replace their own ideas with the ways of God, uh, for they will see God. Now, uh, so the original one is blessed are those who are uh, pure in heart. And nailing down what pure in heart means, I think, is, is really, really tricky. I think if you, if you asked 10 different people in one church what pure in heart means, you might get 10 different answers. Uh, a lot of those answers may be something like, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't do all of the things that Moses told God's people not to do. I don't murder and steal and cheat and lie. Um, I, I'm a good person. I don't think about things I shouldn't think. I don't say things I, don't, I shouldn't say. I don't do all those things I shouldn't do. But I think, I think it misses a fundamental point of what what Jesus is calling us to, what God called God's people to from the, from the very beginning. Because this is, this is the mistake that Israel had made by the time Jesus shows up. They were, they were convinced that purity of heart meant that they abstained from all the unclean things 
followed all the rules, and then, then God would send the Messiah to bring about salvation. Purity of heart was, was about truly being clean. I, I don't want to discount that part of things, but I, I really like, and, and this, uh, watch and ponder what God says and replace their own ideas with the ways of God comes from, uh, you know, Martin Luther, great Reformation icon. I think this, I think this encapsulates what, what God hopes that we will do. Uh, have you ever sat and pondered something? Like just sat and thought about it? Because you didn't understand it necessarily? or you needed to understand it, or it was a puzzle, or whatever. You, you just maybe that way. I'm, I'm a little bit more of a contemplative person. I get, in a, I get in a zone, and then when I get interrupted, people think I'm mad. Uh, anybody else like that? No? Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the church I worked at before, um, I, would, <laughs> I would sit in my office, and I would be studying to, to you know, write something or to, to do a lesson for the youth group or whatever. And I, I love coffee, as we do, and I would need to use the restroom. And, and we had a secretary that I had to walk past every time I needed to leave my office to go to the bathroom. And, and my pondering would be broken because she would inevitably want to engage me in conversation like a normal person. And I, would, I just would be like, no, I can't. Uh, anyway, that's besides the point. To sit and, and ponder something, to, to truly grasp the depth of its meaning. I think, I think we have led ourselves to believe that we, we can know who God is, that we can know scripture, that we can know what God is calling us to without really sitting and pondering what God's ways are. We're like, well, the Bible clearly says. And I'm always a little, a little suspicious. Or I didn't used to be, but I am now. Of people who say, well, the Bible clearly says. Because it's just complicated. There's a whole bunch of levels. The, the language is different and all of those kinds of things. Uh, but not just that, but I think we have a lot of voices that say to us, no, this is the way to be Christian. This is the only way that you can be Christian. Uh, and I think, I think there's lots of ways to be Christian. There's lots of beautiful expressions of the Christian faith, and, and that's why we have a whole bunch of different churches, right? Because different expressions of the Christian faith, and, and of which ours is one. But there's a level of arrogance when we sit down and we just say, we have it figured out. And, and we, we fail to be able to see what the people around us maybe think uh, is good and right. Or we fail to, to be able to see what other Christians are calling us to, especially when they, when they maybe point out our flaws and how we, how we live and maybe how we don't love. Uh, there's two parts to this, right? So it's sit and ponder. God is not hidden from us. God is always revealing himself to us through scripture, through the church, through each other. We watch and we ponder and we do this together. But then the second part of this is that we replace our own ideas about what it means to be human 
what it means to be Christian uh, with the ideas and ways of God. That it is always, again, a participatory thing. And, And I think the more we sit and ponder what God is saying to us and calling us to, the more God reveals those things to us. Not because not because God is holding things back for us, but I think sometimes we're just not ready to understand the things that God wants us to understand. I'm not talking like mystery religion types of things. I think it's, it has more to do with calling out our own sinfulness and, and our own mistakes and our own wrong ways of going about and doing things. I think at least this is how it has worked in my life. Uh, the more I sit and ponder and watch what God is saying, the more God reveals to me the things that I have done wrong, the more God reveals to me the thought processes and practices that, that are unhelpful, that do not allow me or do not help me love my neighbor as myself. And every time something gets turned over like that, maybe, you know, you flip over a, a, a stone to find a bunch of bugs, right? That's maybe what I'm thinking. That God shows me another stone, perhaps, that needs to be overturned. I think this is super, super, super important for everything. <laughs> this might be the center of this part, actually. That we are we are going to constantly know. Well, if if we are allowing God to reveal Himself to us, then God will reveal Himself to us. We'll open our eyes and our minds to more faithfully follow Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, some things that we do, I think, uh, to help us. Uh, we ponder and watch what God says through prayer and through reading scripture, but not just like as a way to like check off my list. I read my chapter of the Bible this week or day, but, but a kind of a contemplation of it, and that has to happen in the midst of conversation. Uh, you were never meant to read your Bible just only alone always to be a communal exercise uh, through conversation and through service towards others. And that looks like a million different things. That looks like the small acts that you do uh, at work or in school each day, and it looks like, um, well, the big things that you might do, the checks you might write to a charity, the, uh, the time you might volunteer to open table the soup kitchen that uh, you can sign up for in the back and donate some canned goods too. Uh, if you have questions, you can see Sarah back there. Shameless plug. Um, but, but I found the more you engage in those kinds of acts of service, the more you're open to the experiences and struggles of others. Um, God will reveal that to you. Um, again, it's cyclical too. Moving on. Blessings on those who seek shalom the Hebrew word there for peace. Peace, well-being, wholeness, and the whole, for the whole world, peacemakers, for they will be call, called children of God. Uh, shalom, as a, as a Hebrew word, is, it never just means the absence of conflict. It is, always a, it is always a blessing and a wish for someone, the person you, you would greet somebody this way, but it's always a, an expression of my hope for your wholeness and your completeness. Um, yes, there is this conflict kind of 
resolving, mediating piece to it, but, but it is, well, because you can't be, I don't know that you can be whole and complete if you are constantly engaged in conflict. Um, but I think, I think, well, I, I don't think we know what peace looks like unless we have watched and waited and pondered what God has said to us. Now, now I think we, we think about we think about this one, and at least I know I have the tendency to, to make it really big. Like, our world is a very not peaceful place. There's conflict, there's brokenness, there's lack of wholeness everywhere. And I think, I think maybe we want to say that we are only called to, like, participate in that global peacemaking effort. But I think that we are called to be peacemakers in the midst of every aspect of our life. If you are a parent, you have been a peacemaker. Like you're, no, you're shaking your head. <laughs> you, it is a very difficult job. You, but our, our jobs as parents is, is like 95% conflict mediation. I don't know if this happens in your house, but we'll, Lori and I will be having a conversation upstairs, and the boys will be downstairs, and we'll hear a loud smacking noise, and one of our children yells, Ow! And then there's more loud smacking noises and more screams and crying. And so finally, you know, and instead of getting up and going to the stairs and calling them upstairs, you know, you just bellow from the couch. Up here now! Right? You make them sit on opposite ends of the couch. And be like, all right, you keep your mouth shut and you tell me what happened. <laughs> Try to get to the, the middle of the conflict. I... I think this is what we're, we're called to uh, in, in all those little different ways. Here's what I, I think that's important for us, though, in this moment in time in history in our country, is that Christians haven't necessarily been the best peacemakers. We have been led to believe that we have to choose a side between one thing or another, and that if people aren't for us, they're against us, and we should be in an antagonistic relationship with them. This gets, this is, gets played out politically, right? It's not just the church. We've been sucked into it, I feel. Well, that if you don't believe exactly the same way that I do, well, then I'm, I need to fear you and maybe even speak out against your heresy, which may not actually be heresy. Heresy is a really strong word, by the way. It's a pretty high bar for what heresy is. I, I think maybe, maybe we should start with being peacemakers like as a Christian community. Anyway, that, I have lots, lots and lots of thoughts on that. If you would like to have coffee, we can talk all day long. Um, but yeah, I think I think the more we strive for peace, again, it's cyclical. Uh, the more we strive for peacefulness, for working towards the absence of conflict, certainly, but the wholeness and wellness of others, I think the more God works through us and enlarges our ability to be peacemakers. But... I think we have to sit and watch and ponder what God has said to us and replace our ideas 
of what things look like with gods. All right, so that's, those are the, the Beatitudes of response. I think um, each of those are calling us to, to respond to uh, what God is doing in us and through us uh, on our own. You know, God helps us to do that very, very clearly. We'll take these next two, and they're called the Beatitudes of Pushback, or, or how I've called them. Blessings on those who are subject to ill treatment, banishment, or rejection for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings on you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, uh, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think, and this is what it all comes down to, to tie it, the, all of these Beatitudes together. Uh, the, the world around us, the culture around us, does not want us to love and accept people maybe who don't have it all together, who are poor in spirit or otherwise. Uh, the world doesn't want us, I think, to, well, to, to like, forget all these. Uh, it doesn't always want us to, to work for those who are devastatingly brokenhearted and mourning. It doesn't want us to treat nicely maybe those people who are labeled unrighteous. And I think we have probably more of an issue with this as a church than, than the larger society. I think the culture around us doesn't want us to be steadfastly loving and faithful because that always means that we need to put the needs and wellness of others maybe in front of our own. Because the world around us is always, well, it's bent towards how much can I get for myself and those who I love, and it doesn't matter maybe who I run over uh, to get it. The world and the culture around us does not want us to replace our ideas with God's. The world around us does not want us to seek peace because there is a good deal of money in conflict on all levels. It sells cable news time. It sells radio time. It sells a lot of other things, too. I think, I, I think we've looked at today are, are calling us to a different kind of life. A fuller and greater expression of the Christian faith that looks more and more like Jesus. Less like us. And when we become committed to those things, I think, no, I know, we will receive pushback for all the reasons we just stated. Uh, because much as, well, love does not rule the day, mostly. Faithfulness doesn't always rule the day. Now, I, I'm not so naive to believe that, that um, we're going to lose our lives if we live in this way. 
uh, or suffer serious persecution. But I do think it, it might put us at odds with the people around us. And, but I think that's a price that Jesus is calling us to pay. As we go forward in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, oh, Jesus will outline a little bit more fully some of these things. Um, and I hope that, that as we can go forward, and, and unfortunately we're not going to do the whole Sermon on the Mount because Lent gets in the way, and we're going to do some Jeremiah, I think, unless I change my mind, which I'm allowed. Uh, but I think as we, as we allow, as we sit and ponder and watch what God is saying to us, as we allow God to replace our ideas of what it means to be us, what it means to be a church, with God's own ideas about that, uh, that we will grow in faithfulness uh, in our ability to be righteous, our ability to be steadfastly loving and loyal. We're going to receive um, the Lord's Supper here in a second. And I said this last week, and I think it remains true for, uh, for this week. Um, this is a, a testimony to the way that Jesus has been talking about, right? It's a testimony to coming to us where we are without us having to be all put together. It is a testament to God's uh, peacemaking. It is a testament to God's mercy, his steadfast love and faithfulness. It is a testament to the fact that if you live a Christ-like life, you may end up on a cross. It is a witness to those things, but it is also, and this is, I believe, is how God intended us to partake of this meal. In a mysterious way, I believe it is a meal that strengthens us so that we might go forth from this place and live more and more like Jesus. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.